Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. I'm willing to bet... I'll hazard a forecast that you enjoyed part one of the big interview with Packy Bonner and that he surprised you. This is the second part of our long conversation. And here, my guest talks about the evolution of the goalkeeping position because we discuss the technical and psychological aspects of being a number one between the sticks and how Packy is tutoring the next generation of goalkeeping coaches through his role at UEFA. We'll name the modern greats. And Packy will talk about the pass-back rule, losing your nerve, feeling when you're at the height of your career as if perhaps you're on the way down. Psychology, mistakes, greatness, it's all here with Packy Bonner on The Big Interview. Enjoy. And if you do enjoy, tell people. Sharing is caring. We talked about Shea Given earlier, and Shea won't. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. When I started the training with Shea first, Shea had two little faults. He's about six foot one, I'm six foot two, two and a half. Uh, maybe with long studs, and I might go to six foot three. <laughs> High heels. Uh, but Shea needed real momentum. Uh, he, he had unbelievable. Uh, you know, ability to jump and dive, and he perfected that by working really hard on it. But he had two little small mistakes when he was young. One is he jumped off two feet. He dived off two feet, so he would take two steps, uh, almost a double, st- and, and jump. The other thing he used to dive across, uh, almost in parallel to his goal line. He never dived outwards because of that two-footed jump. So we had to then 
correct that as a young he was a young goalkeeper and I was his coach and we had to look at that very carefully and say to him and there was an incident that Shea um, played against I think it was one of the Bucharest teams or whatever in the Champions League for Newcastle and Shea took that double hop and when he dived he was almost inches away from making the save and he didn't make the save because you've robbed yourself with that double movement you've robbed yourself of some of the split seconds which will get you to the ball right and, and it wasn't even time it was distance probably about six inches ah. six inches distance because he was diving flat rather than diving outwards and I was able to use that little video and talk to Shea afterwards and this was international football we were at at that point in time and when he came in I said Shea and we set up this little uh, it was just a little drill of putting down some cones uh, either side and every time that he double hopped he, he, he went into the cones so in himself he could he could almost think I can't do that now I've got to step outwards take one step outwards and dive to make contact with the ball at right angles to the ball you, I would need to write it down explain it to everybody I hope I, I don't know if, if the listeners will take this in but what my objective here was to get Shea diving forward and also taking a step one step to get momentum forward. And he had to repeat that and repeat that and repeat that. And Shea had the fantastic ability to take it on and take it back to his club level and almost introduce it to his, his goalkeeper coach to say, I want to work on this. And he also had this brilliant ability to work hard. Shea would work and work and work and work and work. And you had to actually drag him off the pitch at times. This was very technical. It was also physical. It wasn't really tactical but it was very technical it was something that he worked on and he got rid of that habit of taking that double hop and he got and, and he perfected diving forward and uh, for for me for me i had that ingrained into me when i was young but if you work hard enough things become good habits become automatic so rather than just always thinking i mustn't do the bad thing the good thing becomes completely automatic but what you have to do sorry Grim, what you have to do is try to get rid of the bad thing you've got to park it out there somewhere and then try to because the brain's a funny thing the brain you when you come under pressure you're you will automatically go back to what you were doing before so you have to do things repetitively from a technical perspective to change your habit and that takes time and it takes a progress it keeps a, a consistently doing it and then suddenly it becomes almost the automatic response well, now that you, I'm going to do what I said I would try not to do and be a Mustang and break away to green pastures because I, I do want to talk to you about another aspect of the psychology of your goalkeeping career. But seeing as we're on this subject, when I commentate on uh, La Liga television about the new rules for goalkeepers, I have to say, um, Pat, you know, UEFA, where you work as a, as a goalkeeping educator, tutor, professor, is not where these rules are set. And the rules are set largely by the international board, enacted as FIFA laws. And there are a few, th- there are lots of things to debate, but there are a few things that make me outright angry about the laws as much as the restrictions placed on keepers and penalties right now. Now you picked on the youngster, the Irish youngster who who gets sent off. Now that's been altered. The rules been altered. But this concept now that if a ref, that if a goalkeeper. Um, as we stand, he can't come off his line, and at the moment he must have one foot either on the line or just above the line. It seems to me we may as well manacle the keeper to the goalpost, blindfold him, and say to the guy taking the 11 metre shot, There you go, fella, because we're heaping disadvantages on the goalkeeper 
to the extent that it's it's akin nobody's written this in the rule book but and you may disagree with me and if you do tear at me but we're kind of saying somebody who sat there going we want more entertainment we want more guaranteed goals we're going to make it more difficult to the extent that goalkeepers are being punished with retakes that they they can't fully enact what you taught Shay and keep their feet where the law say they have to and not suffer retakes or eventual bookings I think these laws right now are outright wrong. Well, well, I don't know um, the group who make the rules. I know that there's a combination of federations that, that are in charge of the rules, but I don't know who the people are and I don't know whether who to consult with. I have the clue um, from, even though I, I work with UEFA and I'm very much involved in the goalkeeping side, so nobody's ever came to any of us as a group and asked us our, our opinion, that's for sure. Um I, I can't see how you have to stand on on a on a line that is probably what three centimeters or four centimeters. That if you don't have your one foot on that line, then you can if, if you save a penalty or whatever it is that you can actually uh, the penalty would be retaken or you've broken a rule. That does make if if you stay behind the line, definitely, definitely that's fine. So for me, for me that. I just can't work that one out uh, that you have to keep one foot on the line. If you stay behind the line, perfect, and then you can get momentum. I'm glad they changed the rule of getting momentum going forward. You can take a step forward. That's a natural um, action of a goalkeeper to, to dive forward. You have to take a step. Uh, so that's okay. But keeping another, the other foot on the line, how, how can you watch the ball and how can you watch the line at the same time? It's impractical. It's completely impractical. And you're allowed to move along the line. So if you're moving along the line and you're watching the line and you're not watching the ball, that doesn't actually correlate <clears throat> in relation to a, a goalkeeper's uh, preparation for a penalty. But anyway, that, there's, that's a small thing that might change again. Who knows? But what, what, what they do is, the 1993, the, the biggest change happened. Uh, and I was just coming to that. Probably the end of my career was the pass back. Now, at the time, uh, I would have been a little bit probably very worried about it because <laughs> never before did somebody pass the ball back to me and I had to take a touch and <laughs> control the ball and pass it out. But there was no thought process around it too much. Um, the other thing was I always felt that maybe uh, if they knocked the ball back to the goalkeeper, yes, the goalkeeper could pick it up, but he had to play it out to somebody else. He couldn't give it back to the same person who gave it to you. That, that would have been probably a more logical thing at that point in time for us. But I must say, uh, the pass-back rule, now that it has developed the way it has developed, I think it's pretty good. It's pretty good for the game. And from a, from a goalkeeper's point of view, it has positioned the goalkeeper as a real key player within the team. As a footballer, it, it's made them a footballer again. Rather than 10 footballers and a guy between the posts... It's now 11 footballers. Absolutely. And he's, a, he's part of the team. He has to be part of the team. He's like a beckon bar at the back where he has to take possessions, be the support player uh, and all of that. And what it has, uh, Grib, has actually opened up a whole new thinking and understanding and development for the goalkeeper coaches that we're all part of now. And, you know, myself and Franz Hook and, and all of the Martin Thomas and Jim Stewart, all of the group that we have got are in a, in, a, in a position where we're actually trying to to almost develop the coaches and develop 
not not even the goalkeeper coaches, but also get, getting the the normal coaches, the head coaches, the assistant coaches, to almost think about the role of the goalkeeper coach within the staff anymore. No longer is the goalkeeper coach asked to go over there into the corner and work just on technical work and kicking and kicking and kicking. He is now part of the staff. He has to think about tactics. He has to think about how will the goalkeeper be in a position to help the team throughout the next 90 minutes. So then he has to bring that back into his training. And he has to then work with other staff to create the environment for them to to improve their performance. It's quite an incredible change. If you go back only 10 years ago, probably, that was not the case. I think the first person that I've seen maybe bringing it in a little bit more was Van de Sar. He was like a coach on the pitch and he was manipulating people to get into position. And it has kind of almost developed from there. 10, 15 years, I was talking to somebody from Iceland who is in our group and he was saying he was looking back at old games during this period. 2006, he was watching Germany play one of the teams um, and Hans uh, Lehmann was in goals and he says all he did was kick the ball up the pitch. So there was no real thought process about why I was kicking up, where to kick it, how was it going to create possession higher up the pitch, and so on and so forth. So that has all changed and changed quite positively, I could say, but it's created a huge pressure on the goalkeeper. You see, to me, uh, Pat, one of the things I equate it to, and I never had tutorials or experts sitting me down and saying, okay, let's talk about the game. But when Rijkaard, who grew up largely um, in the same way that van der Sar did in terms of what the concept of the game, what the ball was for, how strategically you played it. When Rijkaard came and took over at Football Club Barcelona, one of the things that really stood out with me that I think equates to what you're talking about goalkeeping was that in the past, certainly in Britain and Ireland, every dead ball was an opportunity to not necessarily put it in the mixer, position of maximum opportunity, Jack Chant Morissette's football. But if you got a free kick, especially if it wasn't highly advanced, you were looking to put quite a lot of distance on it, A, so that you put it into an area where the opposition didn't want it, and B, so that kind of, the further it was away from your own danger area, the better. And I saw something that's now as commonplace as what you've been talking about. Free kicks just tapped. Now, immediately, I was a, as, as a consumer, even though I was either writing or not broadcasting in Spain at that time, whoa, what, you know, so you put the ball down, you've got a chance to find either a winger, spread the game, or put it into the box, or tap and move and tap and move. You're like, well, they haven't gained any territory. That's how prehistoric I was in my thinking. So that un- until Rijkaard in press conferences began to speak about, well, if you put it out and take it fast, Perhaps the opposition is still taking a breather for two seconds and we've gained an advantage. If we want possession of the ball, then why should a free kick, a dead ball, be launched just to see whether we do or don't win it in the air or bring it down in our chest or whatever? Keep the ball. Now, some of that, because I'm talking about outfield players, where he said, take it and take it fast, put the ball down and take it, put the ball down and take it, and gradually you'll find opponents aren't ready. That that applies to goalkeepers too, because... um, as much as we were taught that when the ball came back to a goalkeeper, you either kicked from hand as far as you possibly could. Maybe there was try and pick out the centre forward rather than the 10 or try and put it wide because their right back is smaller than our left winger. 
But now goalkeepers in general are encouraged to be part of, we've got the ball, we'll use the ball well, we'll use the ball in the right way for our, for our team philosophy. And it's been a dramatic change. It's been an absolute dramatic change in the way that the goalkeeper has to go about his business. People, we talk about this um, on the courses. We talk about this uh, when I discuss this with, with the pro-licensed students and so on and so forth. And the question I always ask, what, what would you like from a goalkeeper? Uh, and, and the answer is to keep the ball out of the net. And absolutely, absolutely. That, that's the number one priority that he has to defend the goal along with the rest of the, the group, this opponents, when the opponent, sorry, his own players when the opponent has the ball. And sometimes, depending on the club you're playing for, you might be overworked in that capacity or you may have to be, in, as I played with Celtic, you might have had to make three or four saves in the game if you were lucky. But you had to, that was a different way of playing and you had to get mentally right. But the other part of the game that, that is, is changed, and it changed, listen, this came out in 1993. This is a long time. But it's only in the last probably 10, maybe 10, 12 years that people are now really thinking about, about this, about how should the goalkeeper be part of the team when, when they have the ball. And, and it become, he's like a player. And uh, so the goalkeeper has to understand the game. Uh, he has to know the positions to pick up. He has to know what, he, and he has to be left and right, uh, right-sided. That's another big part of the development phase that that even the older goalkeepers now don't quite have. I think the younger goalkeepers will have more of that. He has to have a two-footed, yeah. He has to have a, he has to have a touch. He has to have composure. He has to go into a game now with a psychological manner that that he has to make decisions when the ball. He has to have all of this. Uh, even yesterday, we were discussing psychology. You know the psychological side of goalkeeping again within the SFA, and uh, you know I talked about when I played. I had to physically get myself ready to go out because I knew that the crosses were going to come into the box, and I had to be strong and physical, and I had to go and one hundred percent and get a cross and so on. Goalkeepers don't come for crosses as much now, and there's reasons for that. But going back to the pass back. If I was that hyped up and somebody passed the ball back to me, my touch would not have been good. So now we have to get this two brains working here. One is the, the this inner goalkeeper's brain, which is all the things you do, and we call it we we call it probably a maintenance program, uh, which is making saves, uh, reflective saves, saves uh, from distance. Um, crosses, uh, all the, the, the traditional stuff that we do, we do, balls coming off the deck, all them things. So you have to continue to do your maintenance program. Nobody is saying that you get rid of that and you just go to becoming a player, an outfield player. But you have to involve the other part in your training also. And that's your kind of almost developing the coach's brain within the goalkeeper. Making decisions under pressure, being composed, reading the game, all of the things, and then touch, passing ability. Has he got short, long distance? Can he play off his right foot? Can he play off his left foot? Can he see the situation? And not alone that, he has to work with the team. And working with a team to create opportunity for him to pass, to be a support player. And this notion that you only pass out short, and this was a big problem in, when we were in development, uh, that the coaches say, Pass it to him, pass it to him, pass it to him. And the space is higher up the pitch. 
So they were passing balls that they should never have passed. So the decision was wrong. And they were making decisions then within games that was wrong because the coach was telling them. Does this pertain to that, that thing you've identified there? In our very first interview, Gary Neville was talking about what happened when you had really... A, he's talking about a similar issue and he talked about you know split centre-backs, a high advanced... You know, the ball is in your penalty area. You're not quite being pressed to your death, but there's two centre-backs who are split to show passing options and full-backs. And he said, look, I see it in that instance... Four or five years ago, he was still talking about Barcelona. I see that. He said, but there are teams playing that now where they shouldn't do that, where they can't do that. They're doing it because it's fashionable. And you've picked on something where a coach is saying, pass it to him, pass it to him, because some football brains, I, in my opinion, can cope with advancements and modernisation, but some of them do it because monkey see, monkey do. They kind of think, well, that's the thing we're doing now, rather than thinking... Why are we doing it? And as you pointed out there, when passing short from goalkeepers or passing across your box, which is completely prohibited, in my day, you'd have been jailed for doing that, even though it still made sense to me. Just because that's a thing we now do, it doesn't mean you must do that all the time. If it's like suck people in with a couple of triangle passes that the keeper and the sweeper are involved in and that draws a team towards you and there's a gap, then you use it. Obviously you do, right? Great, great. The, well, the evolu- evolution of this, uh, when it started first about passing the ball out of the back, um, you know, when it came back to me when I played, I used to kick the ball. Even off the first, give it back to me, don't even take a touch, kick it, just for the sake of no risk, getting it into an area where it was miles away from me. Everybody, when a pa- ball came back to me, everybody turned their back and ran up to the halfway line. Nobody showed for the ball. So, so you were in control, you either took a touch and then kicked it long, or you had it first time. And depending on the day and the pitches, remember the pitches were awful also. Then the evolution came and development to say, we want to build from the back. So the goalkeepers were told, you must give it to the fullbacks. You must give it to the centre halves. You must, don't kick it long. So they were always not make, letting them make decisions, but almost forcing into that. Now, I can understand that because their natural, uh, natural uh, action was to kick it long. So they had to change them to think short. Now it's got to a stage where people now have progressed dramatically to say, well, the goalkeeper now can play short. He can he can play around, if that makes sense, around the press. He can play through the press or he can play beyond the press. Depending on where the space is, exploiting space around the pitch but the opposite, the, the, his own players must create that space for him and opportunity. So if, you, if, if somebody presses and locks on to my defence, I'm the goalkeeper, I'm the support player, I can then play it into an area where I know higher up the pitch that I can exploit that space. But those players higher up the pitch must be involved in the process also. Okay, there's less risk when you play long, but you want to keep possession. So now the goalkeeper is almost like he has a full bag of golf clubs. And he has to be able to make the right decision at the right moment under pressure to play use the right club. Can I make the comparison? You made the comparison with golf. Can I make the comparison with that goalkeeper, that ideal goalkeeper you're talking about, in a team where the integrated coaching by of the the full team and the the, the goalkeepers is 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 cohesive. It's it's one system. Are we asking that goalkeeper kind of to be like one of the best central midfielders used to be? You've got options everywhere and you're choosing the right pass and affecting it 
beautifully. That's kind of the person you're describing, right? Of course. And, and then you, you're talking then about their physique and, their, and, and what they're capable of doing. They've got to get into position quickly. Uh, no longer is the goalkeeper, you know, big, strong, heavy guy here. He's got to be two-footed. He's got to have, have a mobility about him and, and movement. Um, all of that matters now. So if I was picking a goalkeeper, I would look at it across all of the the, the, the corners of that physical development. You know, you know, the physical side, the mental side is hugely important as you go up, the technical side, and then the tactical understanding of the game. He needs to understand the game now. And that then comes back to the goalkeeper coach. The goalkeeper coach needs to do, be able to understand the game. It's no longer can I go out and just kick balls and do all that. I need to now understand what the head coach wants. And I'm a support coach, so I need to fit in with it. But if I don't communicate with the head coach or the assistant coach, then I don't know what the tactical... And then the next big thing is the opposition. So if I was to look at a goalkeeper coach's normal maybe a week or two or three week period of, of training one he needs to look back at games because he needs to see if there's a trend of mistakes or whatever that he has to work on so he has to he has to do analysis of looking back at games two he has to do a maintenance program because all goalkeepers like to maintain what they're good at you know they like to do their handling they like to do their diving they cross it but so they has a, a maintenance program I call it depending on the age of the goalkeeper and how long you do it uh, the third thing is then is you're preparing for the next game and at the top end at the top level you might have two days you might have one training session you're going to Europe so now you have to do analysis of the opposition you have to work with the head coach and the assistant coach and you have to then work with your goalkeeper to maybe be part of the tactical plan so that that's a, that's that's something you may have, may do that on off the pitch because you may not have time, but you may have to take it on to the pitch within whatever training, and and then you're also talking about the younger goalkeepers. You have to have a development plan because they're not all their strengths aren't maybe there there are some weaknesses there. So you have to now put in a development plan for them. So this is a huge job, <laughs> the goalkeeper coach's job, and he, then he has to go out and he has to be able to work with other coaches, which is never which was never the case in the past. The first question that a goalkeeper coach asked in the morning, how long do I have? <laughs> so if I was asking you, Graham, as the head coach, how long? And he's, uh, you have 20 minutes, I need them back. So I would have my plan and I would be away working almost entirely an, an, on my own to get the goalkeeper doing something, but without no knowledge of what the head coach was really going to do next. And then he would, you would pass them over and you would continue working maybe with another another goalkeeper to do some other work with him. But now integration is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And and sorry, one other thing I want to say to all the listeners out there, please don't think that uh, that I'm promoting the goalkeeper to be the best coach in the world and the top guy. He's a support coach. He will always be a support coach. And what he can do to give something to the, to the team and to the staff to help the head coach won games. Development slightly different. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Integration has to be key to any good coach because you can coach brilliantly and if it's not properly integrated in all the senses you've talked about then some of that that value is wasted. But we, we can't, you know, stop without the final third being about psychology. And and in your instance you raised the back pass rule, you raised nineteen ninety three and, and you know, I travelled uh, Scotland didn't qualify, so I travelled to the USA for a month with my wife and my brother just to follow Ireland just for the fun of it, because we liked a World Cup when the boys in blue weren't there. And and largely, I would have thought that people would come away thinking, well, that was, you know, until Mexico, that was quite a quite a successful campaign. Nobody will ever forget the, the win against Italy. But between mental doubts, the pass back rule, and foam, I have to touch on foam. Ninety three, ninety four wasn't a great experience for you psychologically, at least. And. Before we explain the phone thing, I, I, I think about Jim Layton hiding from Alex Ferguson until 1986 that he had contact lenses. Wouldn't tell his own manager that he had contact lenses. And I think about the detail now that's involved in goalkeeping coaches and goalkeeper, goalkeepers' lives. But no matter how detailed your preparation, no matter um, what information you're fed, goalkeepers will always have idiosyncrasies. Not that other players don't. But ultimately, there will be situations when you're on your own. Ultimately, there'll be there'll be more blame situations. That has never changed. I think there's been an evolution, but there's been an unfair level of blame placed with goalkeepers that doesn't pertain to midfielders or strikers. Let's before we develop psychology, let's educate people about the foam problem in the gloves in 1994, and what how the hell did foam interfere with your enjoyment of the the you looked out from 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 your house to the sea, and it's America. And all those years later, you get there, and yet there was a little devil in your head saying, "Ooh, I'm not happy here." Yeah, you know what? It's an amazing situation. When I started off playing first, uh, we didn't have gloves with foam. We had green gloves. We had we tried every. You know, you know, gloves we tried out. 
you know the inner keeper, uh, the the cricket, the big cricket thing, the inner glove. There, there was a chamois on them, and I remember Peter Latchford, who was the other goalkeeper, getting them and we'll, we'll try these out. Just something that was going to make things a little bit better for us in the wet conditions. We've got rain outside here in Glasgow today, unfortunately. The weather's been good, but that was the big thing. So then, the first person I got my gloves from was uh, Peter McCloy. Believe it or not, Peter McCloy. Yeah, Peter McCloy, <laughs> the Rangers, the Rangers icon, and he had a sports shop down in Girvan, and uh, he he had these German gloves brought in, and he was giving them around, and he he gave me a pair of gloves, and they were quite a, a, a they were foam, but they were quite a hard foam, uh, and it was a, that that was the sort of kind of almost the start of the 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 go- Remember the Seth Meyer gloves, the big gloves that he had. Setmeyer had hands the size of Hamburg. So I went through this whole period then in my career of different gloves. I had Umbro, I used to I wore Umbro gloves, which I quite I liked, and then I went on to Rouge, Rouge gloves, and the foam became almost a part of it. Even even uh, I think within the, I'm trying to think back, was it the Umbro gloves or or uh, I used Ulo Sport for a while too, and I used to sew down the the seam on the outside finger here. To make them a little bit tighter on my hands, so that on a on a on a Friday night or in the room with Al, we would be sewing gloves just to get them right. The other thing I used to do was I used to wash my gloves, and I keep saying this to any of the young goalkeepers: they're your tools. And I used to wash them on a Friday night game on Saturday. I'd have three or four pairs of gloves, and one that I'd be wearing, maybe one that was just getting a little bit tacky and and so on. But I used to wash them, lay them out. Not on on a on a on radiator or anything. Just just so that in the morning they were just perfect, uh, you know, and and there were just a little bit of dampness in them, and, and so the gloves were hugely important. What happened then? World Cup uh, uh, comes along um, in '94, and the FIFA at that time. I had my own name on my gloves. Very, I got carried away, as my mum would say. <laughs> <laughs> my own logo, my own name on them, and so on and so forth, and so on. But FIFA had this rule that you you had to have your your any any markings on them had to be a certain size and so on. And we we took it probably to the limit. And I had ordered gloves then uh, from the new gloves to come conform with this new regulation. And I made the mistake of not bringing my older gloves, knowing that I was going to get these gloves, and they came just before I left for the World Cup. But unknown to me, the factory that the original gloves were coming out of had closely a change factory. I think they went to Yugoslavia or somewhere or, or Hungary or somewhere and it was different foam. And right away, I always remember wearing them and saying, these, these aren't, they're not, so, they're not soft. And just a psychological little thing to say, these gloves just aren't quite right. And um, I think they may have changed. Obviously now if you look at the gloves, they're really soft and they're, they're, they're beautiful. Um, and so on, they're they've changed it again. But at that particular time in '94, I think it was Russia was wearing. They changed the factory, and that's what done it. And I just, it just didn't seem. That was only one of the small psychological things that probably was slightly hampered my thinking uh, in relation to '94. What else was going on then? That was what were the little worms in your head? Yeah, I was now 34 years old. 
The other thing that changed, and I'm, this is nothing taken away from, from Alan Kelly or anything, because Alan's a great friend and, and he's a super coach now. He's working with a national team and I think he's over in Everton and a brilliant coach. But he was the younger guy coming in and he was now my roommate. Jerry Payton had left. He was too old and he'd moved out. So I now became the senior guy and Alan was the younger guy. So I kind of lost my a mentor. A mentor. And we didn't have a goalkeeper coach in 94 also. Uh, and that's why the goalkeeper coach is so vital now to all of the goalkeepers because he's consistent. He's there and he's there no matter what happens. He's probably there even if manager changes. And I, I would be a big advocate of trying to educate the goalkeeper coaches but keep them consistent over a period of time so that if things do change, if goalkeepers change, we've still got the same same thing going on. So we didn't have that. So Alan wasn't... I wasn't able to sit down and have that that intimate discussion of how I was feeling and so on with, with Alan uh, and so on. Uh, the third thing that happened was when we were preparing down in Orlando, which was a really horrible place to go to prepare because it was so, so warm. Remember, we played against Mexico at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I, I, Pat, I, I was there and on that day, I thought I was going to die. You know, I was, I was unwell. There was... As you came in as fans, you came in. There were showers that you walked through, cold showers, fully dressed, just to try and keep your temperature at, at, at the kind of level a human being could survive with. I thought I was going to die that day. And, and the other thing, of course, then was the big water issue. We weren't allowed to put water onto the pitch for the players and so on, which was ludicrous. It was actually dangerous, very, very dangerous. But even you know, people say, oh, "But you were only a goalkeeper." But the way I played was I played from one minute to 90 minutes. I was involved in the game. I was out on the edge of my box. I was talking. I was organising. I was keeping myself. That's the way. So, and, and, and the brain is, a, is an interesting thing. You know, if you're out involved in the, in, in, the, in the pitch, you're running around. But when you're sitting back having to think a little bit more, you've got to be in the positive frame rather than the negative. At any little negative, you lose focus. You lose your focus. Uh, and what happened in the training aspect was, because we didn't have a goalkeeper coach also, now I was hitting balls one minute of talent, and then I was back in doing my training, and Alan was hitting to me. And it was so, so warm. By the time you walked from the pavilion across to the training pitch, you were absolutely drenched drenched you would work for about 20 minutes and you were exhausted and the normal again psychologically was that I always worked very hard so I worked most days I would work for an hour maybe about an hour and 15 minutes depending but now I was suddenly working for 20 minutes and I was gone so this kind of idea built up in my head that I wasn't prepared I wasn't prepared I wasn't ready for the big occasion even going in against Italy I remember in the giant stadium in the first game I was nervous. I was really nervous. And I'm 34 years old. I'm 34. I'm not a young boy, but I was really nervous. And, and you know, I look back to my career with, with Celtic, and I remember that that happened, happened to me when I was going to go up against Rangers one time. And I remember saying to Danny McGrain, I says, Danny, I'm really, really nervous. And Danny said to me, he says, uh, listen, there's no problem being nervous. It gets adrenaline going. But see if you're over-nervous. Your energy goes, your energy goes, and you're stopped making decisions. Your legs feel heavy, everything, and that's exactly that's exactly how I felt in in that World Cup because I got over nervous, I got over anxious. Saying prayers didn't help me, the gloves didn't help me, being the preparation didn't help me. I was was just, and I needed I needed a goalkeeper coach, who also, by the way, is a bit of a psychologist. 
that's the that's where I wanted to go because I I want to read you something I said from Peter Schmeichel. But in my opinion, the goalkeeping coach is perfect now, and continuity you pointed out, particularly in um, a club or a national setup, is important because it, it it then means that the relationship with the coach is integrated. It means that all the keepers are being taught the same idea. As good as that man or woman is technically as advanced as they are, as good as they are at not only data handling, but, but cutting out the data that you don't want to crowd keeper's head with. They have to, there's a there's a one-on-one relationship. A little bit like Sam Museveni and Ham, Harold Abrahams is portrayed in, in Chariots of Fire, but you have to get inside the head, know when to back off, know which little uh, bells and ropes to pull if that person is lacking confidence unnecessarily or has lost a bit of confidence because of an error. It's a very psychologically deft person that is the best goalkeeping coach in the modern game, I think. I think so. I, I, I think you have to be... Yes, you need to understand the game tactically now. You need to be able to create and design proper training in a real, realistic manner. Um, and that's what we call in our education philosophy reality-based learning. Uh, so everything has to relate to the game. Uh, and even if it's a technical exercise, it has to be seen within the game context. The, the example I use there is that, you know, control, for example, for a goalkeeper. If I if I said to two young kids, go out and pass the ball, and they kept passing it to one to another. And I say, right, take two touch, they would control the ball back towards where they were going to pass the ball. And if you think about that from a goalkeeper perspective, why does somebody pass you the ball? Is because you have to go somewhere else with it. So your control has got to be away from the person passing the ball to you, to the side or whatever. So that changes that that little technical uh, thing. So the goalkeeper has to, coach has to understand all of those. So so the game's the teacher. So that's the tactical side. But the physical side, you need to understand how much we used to work so hard. I, I tell you, I, I overworked. Uh, as I overworked Shea, for example. Uh, th- there's no question. Shea could take it because he was used to it. But imagine me doing the work I did with Shea with some other kid. I'd, uh, probably they would have been exhausted. I would come Some Saturdays I would feel my legs really heavy because on a Friday we used to work really, really hard. Now you have now there's technology there to understand all of this. The, the, all the sports science backup is there. We never had that. So all of that you have to understand it and you have to work with the other sports scientists. But then the psychological side... You have to understand and build relationships. And the other thing is, you need to realise that everybody is different. You can't work the same way with one goalkeeper as the other from a psychological perspective. I want to take the chance to, to, to read this to you. And this comes from Schmeichel. And I don't know how you analyse it, what you think of it. But it seems to me that this speaks a lot about the way in which a goalkeeper has to be. And he told me when we were sitting down to an interview in Copenhagen, he talked about a day where he has to go and play in Porto. And this is his quote. He said, that day was my biggest day. It was about the most people I'd ever played in front of before. It'd been about eight or 9,000 people. And, I, and this is Schmeichel. There's such strange words. I remember how scared I was. But that was one of the most important days of my football career. Because we sat on the coach, this is for uh, Brombu, on the way to the Santos Stadium, and we had a police co- escort. I'd never seen that before. And basically, it was just a normal road, not a dual carriageway, and the cops were taking us down the middle of the road, and cars had to fly out of the way. And first of all, that really scared me. Really, really scared me. But also the game. 
And all I could think about was, I really hope we don't get there. I hope the bus will turn around and we'll go somewhere else. Honestly, I couldn't face playing the game. I was nervous and physically I was shaking and sweating. And as you do, you arrive at the stadium, you go and have a look at the pitch. And as I'm in the tunnel, and by then the stadium is still empty, there are no people there. I'm thinking, Peter, this is crazy. This is what you've been dreaming about for so long and you've worked hard. This is what you've wanted all of your life. So why are you scared? You should be enjoying this. So I made a sort of decision that I would not be scared and I would not be nervous, never again. And I wasn't. And for some reason, I managed to just do that for the rest of my career. And and I think, although that's an individual guy speaking, if you correlate what he's owning up to in his mind there, to the guy that, you know, Martin's on this call, you and I enjoyed watching through. And in my book, not in the necessarily the, the, the with the new footballer goalkeeper model there maybe were better than him but in my lifetime possibly he and Shilton were the two that made me think that on days they were impregnable they were just unbeatable that type of dilemma can't be a shock to you but to have somebody with such mental strength to say I'm scared I'm switching it off that's what great goalkeepers are made of I I watched Schmeichel I played against him and I had had that possibility at the international level and I watched him so much with Manchester United and, you know, also. He comes across as, as, as this big, strong guy. He's, he, he always has a, has a way of, of acting and working as, as the big bully guy at the back. And sometimes, you know, when you know and you've been in that position, it's always like a front. <laughs> you have to do this to almost portray to people that you're in control. And you have everything bang. You are the boss. And I was a bit like that myself. I could never afford to allow somebody to turn around to me within the team and say, that was your fault. It was almost like a, I had to react before they would even actually say it to me. <laughs> and it was a kind of a front. Even though I am, ve- I don't know what Peter Michael is personality-wise, but I'm, a, I'm very much an introvert. Uh, it's changed over time. But uh, as an introvert, uh, I would be very much um, about, and I talk about this a lot, I talk about my energy, um, and you know, if I'm, if I'm performing in front of 60,000 people, I have to be prepared. First and foremost, I have to have everything prepared. If something, as we talked about earlier with the World Cup, if things, something goes off sync, that was a problem to me. I needed a way of, of rectifying that somehow, and that's where the psychologist comes in and helps you. But I'm an but. As I perform, my energy is going down and down and down. And the more I perform, down. So I need to find that space away from everything to build my... So I know myself. And I keep saying this to not not just young footballers, but I keep saying I was working for a company, talking to young teachers, uh, about they're they're, uh, almost having to leave Ireland to go abroad to work and so on into different environments. About self-awareness. You know what I mean? Do you know yourself? Do you know your strengths? Do you know your weakness? Do you know what makes you tick? Do you know your personality? I'm also very judgmental of people and so on. And I'm sure Peter Schmeichel, whatever trait he has, is probably things that's going to be affecting him. So you've got to get to know yourself. And he probably found himself at that moment and he found what was going to work for him, if that makes sense. And I had to find that also within myself. Like, it was hugely important to me throughout my career. 
even though that I was away from it, I wanted to get back there to walk the beaches and build up my energy and get myself ready for the big, big uh, tournaments and so on. And if that didn't happen, if I was away from Donegal for a year, I, I when I was young especially, I was in a bad place. I needed to get there to, to and that was my 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 place. Uh, so you need to find a way to almost get yourself into into almost that zone of performance. Sometimes when you're in the zone, you fall out of it, and you've got to stress your body to get back into it again, uh, somehow. Uh, and that, but you need psychology is hugely important. Pressure is a huge thing now. That I, I talk about this. You know, if a young goalkeeper makes a mistake now, especially if it's at the top club. You're on Sky TV. You're on TV almost continually for that two or three weeks. How do you handle that as a young goalkeeper? I was very lucky when I made the big mistake in, in Orlando uh, against Holland. Uh, it was a horrendous mistake. But I was lucky because I was coming to the end of my international career. I, I was 34 years old. I probably maybe had another year at international level. I came back. I went back with Tommy to Celtic as the goalkeeper coach plus playing. And ended up, luckily enough, winning the cup final and, and the year after, which helped. So I, I'm very lucky, Graham. by the way, that I made the big mistake, but people only remember the penalty save. What they remember is a gentleman, a winner, um, a great athlete. The, the thing I close on here, Pat, and it's a hypothetical one, and again, feel free to say no, but given everything we've discussed about your profession, where you educate now, where you develop, and if you think of what's asked of goalkeepers now compared to before, they get battered less. The balls are more testing, but the surfaces are, are far better. I look around in the league where I work and I see Courtois and Ter Stegen and I see Oblak and I see Vachlik and I see David Soria and I look across to England and Ben Foster's never played probably better but you look at the really elite keepers like uh, moving upwards from De Gea through Ederson to Alisson. We look at Neuer in Germany and, and we can go to different down the room of a boy prodigy aged 17 um, we just only just coming out of the Buffon era is it potentially true that with all that we're asking goalkeepers to do now the, the degree to which they're trained and you look across all the, the giant leagues and think I could name four or five goalkeepers do we live in the era of goalkeeping excellence right now pound for pound rather than one individual here or there I think it's it's at a very high level, especially when you name some of the guys you've already mentioned. Um, in England, I would like to see some of the English goalkeepers really get up to that level, Irish, Scottish, whatever. Um, and, and I think that's happening. There's a lot of great work going on. I can tell you that education has changed dramatically in the last uh, probably 10 years also. You know, before... Uh, reality-based learning was not part of we've developed the goalkeeping B and the goalkeeping A courses now and I think we're doing a survey at the moment to see what the impact is over the last five years and I'm hoping that that might come out as a more positive so we're still in an evolution here and it's still going and it'll be another 10 and this this is a 10-year maybe a 15-year program of development uh, among coaches to get them to really work um, as far as the goalkeeper development, they've improved dramatically. The young goalkeepers now are confident they'll take the ball. I think where, and I watched two games recently, and I did an analysis on them. I was working for UEFA. One was the, the game Rangers versus Leverkusen. Um, and the Leverkusen goalkeeper probably had about 80 to 90% of his actions were with the ball. And they won the game comfortably 3-0, uh, 3-1, sorry. 
And uh, But in saying that, the goalkeeper was a huge part of the Leverkusen tactical plan. Balls going back to him, control, passing out. He was a support. The other game I watched, sorry, was against Leipzig versus Tottenham. And the, the Austrian goalkeeper playing for Leipzig. Uh, but he was hugely involved in the game also. Hugely involved. But for him, he's all right-footed. Tottenham's goalkeeper's all left-footed. And I think... We've got. To, we'll see probably in the future where you have young goalkeepers who are absolutely perfect on both feet. They will be able to. You can. You can play out right. You can play out left. The balls will be exactly the same. That that evolution will continue over the next four or five years, and you will see a range of young goalkeepers coming through. They still have to make the big saves, and and this is where where I don't want to, to, within the education system that we're promoting, is to get away from this ability to be able to work also individually with the goalkeepers to develop their technical and making the big saves at the right moment within the game. But that will always continue. And they have to, if they can't make saves, they will not, they will not uh, help the team either. The problem is that between 70 to 80% of actions now for a goalkeeper, what the ball is with his feet. Top five countries in Europe. The, the goalkeepers under the age of 23, the, the player, they only had a very limited number of first-team games. And that's why reality-based training has got to be essential to even bring a little bit more into the training that relates to the game. That is a huge problem for us, getting young goalkeepers more game time. If you looked at the, the Gia, you looked at Courtois, you looked at those, they would have played, by the time they were 23 years old, they would have played... 200 games, maybe 150 games. Backy, I, I want to say thank you to you and I want to refer back to something that um, I don't know if we've spoken before, but I said you, you saved my bacon earlier in my, in my career. And it's, it's true that there was one night at Peter Grant's testimonial where because uh, the company I was working with were sponsors, I was in, in the player lounge and a couple of slightly interesting East End gentlemen who hung around Pierre van Hoydonk had, had taken an issue with me and I, I was just aware of a booming Donegal voice stopping them giving out to me and and I think that I think their giving out was going to be a different kind of giving out than than you described and there was a big hand took one of them by their jacket and just lifted him and put him somewhere else very cleverly done with sort of Pat Jennings style strength and hands and, and, and a big booming voice to say lads lads now behave and I thought hmm. I've never been happier to hear a Donegal man speaking uh than than that night until now uh pat you it's it's probably overdue you got a game of golf in if the rain is stopped thank you for sharing with us um golden and difficult moments from your career but also indicating to people the way in which goalkeeping science is developing the the people that you work with are lucky to have you um because you explain your art well and um I don't know if you get more or less satisfaction from teaching or playing, probably more from playing, less from teaching, but it must be damn fine to still be involved in making a game that you love better still. Can I say one last thing? And I learned this from my great friend, uh, colleague and manager, I suppose, was Tommy Burns, who's no longer with us. Um, You have to enjoy the journey. I enjoyed every moment of my time, but we had great fun also. And if if you take the fun out of it, you're taking something away from it. Uh, and that's so a combination of getting the job done, being professional, but enjoy it as you go through that journey. 
Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.